Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you again for being here. Uh, we are back in the book of Acts today. We've been out of it for a few weeks as we went through a short series that was just simply entitled New Life. Um, as we started a few weeks before Easter, then we ended up on Easter Sunday not wrapping it up like, hey, we're done with this. I mean, it, it, this new life in Jesus is, is the center of everything that we want to think about and do and teach on and preach on and, and worship in. So uh, we're going back into the book of Acts. It's been a study for us about uh, what, is it, what does it really look like for us to live our lives with Jesus in, in us, in the Holy Spirit. Um, there was a group of people, and we talked about one of them last week, who at the point of Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, the very people that started what we call the church, they, they, they were really given the keys of it. They, they didn't believe. They were scared. They were freaked out. Um, so there, there's just so many proofs that this really is a movement of what God is doing in people's lives as compared to just the best ideas of men and women that uh, we just try to see if it works and gets us where we want to go. Uh, so I'm very excited to be back in this book of Acts. We're going to primarily be in chapter 7 today. We're going to be a little bit in chapter 6. Um, if you've been really studying through and tracking, uh, we do have, just by the way, a few more of those Acts study journals. It's basically the book of Acts with a page of Scripture then a page that's lined for notes beside it. If you'd like one of those, we'd love to be able to get you one of those. Um, but we're not. There's a section of chapter six we're going to come back to in a couple of weeks uh, when we're going to be presenting um, a few of our new deacons to you. So we're going to come back and pick up on that. But we're going to jump in uh, with the story of one particular deacon uh, out of this opening section here of what the church really goes into a season of explosion over. Uh, and his name is Stephen. Um, I'm going to put. A, I'm going to have a word on the screen uh, before we jump into scripture, and I want you to um, just. I just want you to read this word, and before I say anything about it, I want you to kind of just kind of let click in to your minds what your initial definition is, okay? So here's the word that I would like for you to read. It's going to be on the screen now. So just kind of lock in. Like, this, this is the first thing that comes to mind when I, when I read this word. Now, um, I, I want to say this. Um, if, if you are, um, if you're super sport-minded, um, you might have read that word as offensive. Um, in, in other words, you, you don't want to have a game plan that's just defensive. You're not just trying to limit somebody else from scoring. You're looking to score yourself. Um, by definition, many, many dictionaries will simply say um, that this is a word that means that, that there is a force, whether it's military, team-oriented, whatever it is, that is looking to gain ground. In other words, you're not trying to just guard where you are. You're looking to gain ground. Now, if you watch a lot of news, you probably read this word as offensive, right? In other words, um, what are the things that I hear, that I read, that, that I talk about, or that others talk about that offends me, that kind of comes into my life, and I want to push back defensively because I don't want it to gain any ground? Offensive things, most people say, these, these, these things hurt me, they hurt others, but see, here's the, here's the tricky part with this word. Um, we look at it and we see, we're actually going to see both sides of this in this biblical account today. We're going to see that the gospel is offensive. It's always looking to gain ground. Not just in property and buildings, but in people's hearts and lives. The gospel is looking to gain ground. It's looking to gain ground in someone who, who hears the call of the gospel and, and surrenders their life to Jesus. The, the, the hard people to reach. The gospel is looking to gain ground. But the gospel also to people who just, just don't 
just don't get it. They don't, they don't, they don't like the message they think they're hearing. They don't, they don't really fall in love immediately with what they think someone is, is saying about their life. Or they hear a version of it that doesn't sound a lot like grace and love in Jesus. They hear something that does sound more like ridicule and judgment than they may find the gospel offensive. Do you have a bathroom scale at home? Some people are like, yep, I use it every day. And some people are like, nope, broke it years ago. Uh, not out of use, but just took a hammer to it. That's what, that's what we did. So when, when you, if you step onto a bathroom scale, it provides you with information. Now, you know, that information may be accurate or, as I like to say, man, my clothes are heavy, right? <laughs> um, these shoes, I really probably should buy lighter shoes. Um, if you step on a, a bathroom scale, it's going to give you a piece of information. And that piece of information might be offensive if you're not happy with it. But does that mean that that information is not true? See, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Because we as humans have the ability to decide if something offends me, and that decision is, can be completely separate from the question, is it true? Sometimes it comes from our experiences. Sometimes it comes from what we want to hear or what we want to be. And does that information match what we want our lives to look like. Some of that may really illuminate itself today. Now, um, we're talking about Stephen. Stephen was a deacon, and I, I kind of hesitate before you really start presenting new deacons in your church, really acknowledging that one was killed <laughs> historically. Um, so we're, we're not going to do that here. We're not, we're not, we're not killing anybody. Um, but, but Stephen, just to kind of spoil the story, I mean, he, he was a deacon, and, and the, the account that we're going to read, we're not going to go through every verse here um, because th this is actually the longest recorded sermon in the entire book of Acts. I mean, when you think about all the messages that were preached and, and the gospel presented in the book of Acts, this is the longest one we have recorded. I, I just want to give you, before we jump into it, where it begins and then where it ends to really start to show how quick of a turn this is, okay? Um, this is in Acts chapter 6. This is verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. There was, there was a guy who was coming up in front of people, heart fully devoted to the Lord. God was gifting him to be part of miraculous works that he was doing in people's lives. And it was, it was seen and it was captivating and people were locking in. And, and this wasn't about him. This wasn't about him at all. I mean, the Bible speaks... That, that, that Stephen has great integrity. He, he was showing people Jesus. But this is what people were seeing. This is what people were thinking when they saw him act. Now, I want to read just a, a verse kind of at the end of this passage to you, or, or a couple verses real quick. This is, this is chapter 7. We, we, we haven't gone but one chapter. Verses 57 and 58. They, this is a crowd of people. And, and I want you to consider... You know, it, we, we like the idea of, hey, walking in Jesus' steps when it comes to all the amazing things in life. We're just called to walk in Jesus' steps. And, and, and th does this not sound similar to just the Easter season we came out of? They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This is a group of adults who, after hearing what Stephen said, 
were just, I mean, their teeth were clenched, their jaws were tight. They were putting their hands over their ears and yelling just to drown out the noise of his voice. Grabbing him, taking him out in the streets. and being, I mean, it, it, the visual of this is just, why, how in the world can, can you go from recognizing just the hand of God on somebody's life to just being this, just disgustingly angry? What, what makes this move? Now, so here's, here's what's happening. Um, Stephen, as, as these things were going on in his life, as he was really presenting Jesus, there were religious leaders, um, and really religious leaders were everything. There were culture leaders, political leaders, all this stuff. So as they're hearing this message, remember, this, is the, this, this word of Jesus being alive is just exploding. At this point, there's, it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of people in one city. Um, that have given their hearts to Christ. Th- they make a couple of accusations, and, and they drummed them up. I mean, the, the, that's the evidence that we have here in the Bible. They drummed up some accusations. And specifically, if you read through parts of chapter 6, the, the accusations were that he was speaking false um, lie or, or tr- lies, <clears throat> blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, for these people, if you said anything about Moses... Um, that they held Moses in incredibly high esteem. They referenced so much of their life. I mean, the, the law that they lived off of, that they really manipulated and twisted for their own religious purposes, but, but the, the core of that law was handed from God to Moses, and they were still carrying it. So they had a lot of religious and cultural identity with, with Moses. Naturally, because they really wanted to present themselves so religious, and it practically was part of their life in such a significant way, that, that God, of course, was someone whose name they held in reverence, even though their lives may not have backed that up so well. So the, 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 the complaints they had was he was speaking against Moses and God, and he was speaking against what, what they refer to in verse 13 in chapter 6, the holy place and the law. So in other words, they said, hey, he is saying stuff about the place we worship that we don't like. Because the place of worship that they had was almost, in a sense, the business that they ran. It was, it was their job. It was their livelihood. It was the way that so many of these people who were so angry made so much money off of the backs of people that were coming in under conviction that were just looking to worship a, a, a God that they dearly hoped loved them. So this was the accusations. Now, here's the room, and I, and I just want to make sure you can kind of feel this because this is what Stephen was in the middle of. Um, just kind of picture for a second. If, 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 if we put a chair right here at the front of this stage, that chair would have been occupied by the high priest, okay? Now, it wasn't just um, the high priest here and just where Chris is right here. It, it wouldn't just be like Chris is sitting here in front of this guy answering for the charges against him. It would have been, if Chris represents where Stephen is, um, this is the high priest, then as a, in a huge horseshoe shape around him, this would have been all of these other, the, these priests in this order of just really um, high-ranking religious leaders that, that would sit in judgment over people and decide things about how they interpreted God's word. It was this huge horseshoe shape that would go way back behind him, about 35 people on each side. And then there were rows at the back where I see um, Chris and Nick sitting back there. Um, like There's rows in the back. That's where students would sit that were learning and, and learning the law and teaching being taught, and, and so they were kind of really trying to begin their professional career handing in God's Word. So it's, it's, it's literally the, the, the accused in the middle of all this. And in the middle of this room, 
And chapter 7 is when we pick up the story, and it just simply says, there's a question from the high priest of Stephen. Verse 1, are these things true? Now, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, um, we'll read chapter 7, and it almost sounds like Stephen is stalling for time. It almost sounds like he's, he's putting something out there that he can just kind of, like, let's, he, he, it almost sounds like, hey, I'm trying to connect myself to the room. I don't want to lose my life. I mean, th- this, is, this is really defend what you said or say you didn't and maybe get off. I mean, this was, this was someone, well, we could say, on trial for Jesus, on trial for the gospel. And if we read it that way, we're really, really going in a wrong direction. Because what he said was not stalling. It, okay, let me, let, me, let me give you an idea. Verse 10 and back in chapter 6. The, the people that were so angry, it says, But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So the words that Stephen was saying, I mean, selfishly, and I think we'd probably agree, I mean, if, if you and I were both saying, yeah, I am, I am a, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I mean, wouldn't you want it to be said that when you open your mouth, especially in the most difficult situations of life, that, that the two things that characterize everything you said was wisdom. In other words, you were prepared and you knew something worth saying, but then you, it, it was just obvious that you were being led by the Spirit in the order that those words came out, in the tone that you used, when you paused at the right time. It was, it was God in control of, of the time that you spent in information gathering with Him. Like That's how you were speaking in the most difficult situations of life. I would love it if, if everything that I said was, was perceived that way. I, would lo- I think we would all love that. So as he's in this room... That's the setup for everything that he's getting ready to say right now. And I want to read a few parts of this. There's going to be big chunks that we, we won't necessarily dive into. Um, I, I, and I'll, I'll just quite frank with you. Um, I, this was, I really, um, sometimes with a message when you're really praying through stuff and you want to see God leave, because always the prayer is, um, God, just let, the, let your word um, reign true and, and not be dinged up and squeezed and twisted and turned around, but also let it be exactly what um, all of us need to hear. And, and this one was, was a tough one to wrestle through with the Lord um, because there's so many things that you could study and break down and, and break it up. Um, but, but the goal is always for that prayer to be answered as a yes from Jesus, and that's what we experience. But also, um, on, on, on my heart every week is, I, I really hope that every time you hear the Word of God preached here, that when you walk out the door to some measure, that there's, there's a little bit more time what we've spent falling in love with Jesus than when we came in. Like we're just, we're just always more in love with him when we leave here than when we came into the doors. Um, so as we're in this passage, if you want to know why, why I missed this, um, we, can, we can always go back and study this on our own and together um, later, but, but, but we, will, we will try to be um, intentional about this. He starts it this way, verse 2. Uh, Brothers and fathers, he replied, Listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran and said to him, Leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So as he starts this, remember I said, he's not just trying to get everybody on board with him. Um, this is a systematic walkthrough of, of what he knows to be true and what, how God is leading him. But he does start with a, 
brothers and fathers. Our, our father Abraham. Um, he, he was accused of saying some bad things about, uh, about God and Moses. So you said, well, why is he bringing up Abraham? It really sounds like he's struggling. Well, this is what God was up to when he first called his people. It started with Abraham. I mean, and, and nobody's going to stop him from talking about Abraham. Abraham in the Bible, in the Bible, Abraham is, is mentioned something like, uh, it's, it's, a, it's just over 300 times in the Bible. 74 of them are in the New Testament alone. Today, currently, 60% of the world religions, I, I don't mean like um, it's, it's heavily weighted by Christianity. I mean, if, if, if our faith in Jesus represents one religion, 60% of the world religions currently trace themselves back in some way to Abraham. Like all the promises that God made to Abraham, when he said, I'll, I'll make your name great, you're not lying. It may have not have gone in all the right directions, but, but his name is well known. He starts with Abraham and, and, and the call. He said, you want to talk about God? Let's, let's talk about what God began. God came to Abraham and told him, I want you to follow me. But it came with one, one real request. There's a place and a people that I need you to leave. Abraham's family was heavily involved in, in really idol worship. I mean, they were, they were not a moral, upstanding group of people. Kind of an odd place for God to kind of peek into humanity and go, starting with you, like, you're my guy, you're my couple. That's, that's who I'm going all in with. And really, if, if maybe we just sometimes need to hear this. Um, in, in some of the most difficult times of life, even when we're really not where we should be, it doesn't mean that God's not looking at our lives and into our souls going, I can use you. And he calls us, not just in a moment, but many times part of that call is calling us out of a place or a people. I think we're honestly, I, I, I mean, we're, Jesus always would, would connect with people that were lost, but I think, I think we're walking dangerous territory if we think that being a follower of Jesus is never going to come with a call that says we need to change some environments in our lives. I just think, I think we're really selling it short because those things influence us. God can speak more clearly sometimes when we change certain social environments, certain places that we are. And, and God called Abraham out of this place. It says, then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. Now, when you really read his story in Genesis, in, in chapter 12, it kind of sounds like that's this, when he's in Haran is actually when it starts. The reason that, that I believe Stephen is, is presenting it this way is because what he's actually telling him is, hey, listen, you, you know the story, but you're thinking that it started near Haran. It actually started way before that. And Genesis later gives evidence of that. It says um, that um, from there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living, right? You, if you ever heard the term the promised land. It says that um, he didn't give an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. All right, so I believe what Stephen's after is, is he, he really wants to help them make sure they start their, their processing in the moment they're in. Think about all that God does. How, how much he accomplishes and, and the fact that he wouldn't do it our ways. 
God makes a promise to Abraham that, that he's going to ultimately be this incredible nation of people. And he's, at the time, in his mid-70s and has no kids. None. It must sound like the most absurd promise in all the world. In fact, d- does God bait the hook by going, hey man, if you'll come follow me, I'm going to give you this incredible piece of property? No, it says that God gave him a promise. That, that he, didn't, he literally didn't even own a square foot of land. You know the only thing that Abraham ever owned in the promised land? He bought one piece of property. You know what it was? A grave. Isn't that crazy? You think, oh man, there's like all this... Okay, but, but here's, the, here's, I think, here's what Stephen's doing. He's trying to get their minds to open up to this. We are so driven in, in, in just humanity, whether it's like this 2,000 years ago, or today, or even 2,000 years before that. We want the promises of God to come with the stuff that we want in life. And sometimes we, we really get this, this calling where we have to wake up to this simple truth. God's promise itself is enough to possess and hold on to that even when we haven't seen it come to fruition yet, it is enough because of who backs it. Right? Because of who backs it. And this is what he's walking them through. And, and, and it says that God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country. He told Abraham the whole, the whole future of the people, all about the time that they would spend in exile in Egypt, that they would have to be brought out of Egypt. But, it, but he talks about that they would be brought out of Egypt for, for one thing. He said his descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would, um, they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. You can check the story historic, in, in, in history and math. It's, it's dead on. I will judge the nation that they serve as slaves, God said. Ten plagues. Um, after this, they will come out and worship me in this place. That's the reason he was bringing them out, so that they would worship him, that they would be able to know him. Now, check this out. I don't, I don't want to make you think that he didn't give Abraham anything. Okay, here's what he gave him. After this, they will come out and worship in his place. So he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. God, I didn't ask for that. I didn't, that, was, that was not on my shopping list. Like, I don't, I don't know... Um, if you're in here and you're like, I don't, I don't know what circumcision is. Um, if you just look to your right or left, that's exactly who's going to explain it to you after the service. Um, this, is, this is an odd gift that God comes to the table with, right? I mean, yeah, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. You're going to be a great nation. I don't have kids. All right, well, we're going to start with one. One, really? I'm 75. That seems a little bit old to really run after a toddler. Um, well, don't worry about it. You're still not going to have the baby for another 20 years. Oh, oh, great. That's, that's awesome. Um, so what else can I have? Well, you're gonna, you know, there's going to be this land that you're going to have. Awesome. I get a farm? No. Um, ultimately, you'll be able to scrape up enough money to buy your grave. Really? So, all right, Lord, in this, what do I get? Here's a knife. I mean, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mean to be crude, but it's it, like this is, again, God doesn't just do the things that we would necessarily do. But, but here's what it is. Ultimately, um, th- this process that, that he gave him as a covenant, it was a physical sign. Now, now have you ever thought about this? The, remember, so much of the promise was tied to the fact that Abraham one day um, would have a child. Um, and and when, he, when he gave him this promise was at that time. Um, and, and really for the rest of his life, um, Abraham had a, had a physical sign on a reproductive organ that God fulfills his promises. And I know for us, we're like, that just seems weird. But, I mean, if you really trace it through, the people had no problem 
really growing to appreciate it because really all of us need a desperate sign at so many times that, that God, you, you've promised me something and that you do keep your promises. Um, so that's what he gave Abraham. Okay. Now, um, it says, following this, after this, he fathered Isaac and he circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Now, what's not mentioned here is what? All of the mistakes Abraham made. Remember, um, they were frustrated because they couldn't have kids. Um, so his wife, Sarah, just said, hey, you know, maybe we should try this a different way. So why don't you have a child with this servant that we have? Um, and then now you, you chase the line um, of, of the Arab nation and you, and, you, and you see a religion that is birthed out of this. I mean, it's just, it, it's what we see in Abraham really clearly when we choose me over God how it doesn't really go right. But we also see um, in, in Abraham and Sarah's life that they started out as Abram and, and Sarah. And, and when you do follow God, um, he changes your identity. And, and even when you mess up, still what, um, what we can see over broad strokes is just so much of the goodness of God. So Stephen goes from this point, um, and then he follows. He picks up where he left off with these 12 sons, these 12 tribes. Um, but... but Everything wasn't on course. He talks a little bit about Joseph, one of those 12 sons um, that his brothers sold into slavery. I don't know how you have always gotten along with your siblings, but I hope you haven't like really just completely shipped them off for hard labor. And he sold his bro- they sold their brother into slavery. But, but remember the end of the story? What, what, what was the takeaway? When he looked at his brothers, because they, he didn't just get sold into slavery, God took um, what they did, and he put him in a position that would save his family because there was a famine and nobody had food or money. And, and remember the statement, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And, and we see that that was just the, 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 the outpouring of God's goodness and how he could work in, in, in circumstances that we try to selfishly almost wreck. And Stephen is saying, okay, yes, we do have this lineage, but consider, God calls people out of hopeless situations. He redeems us when when our hearts just constantly turn from Him. And everybody in the room, they're, they're not shaking their head totally no yet. But then he finally gets to this guy that they hold with such high esteem, Moses, okay? And here's what he, he brings out with Moses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a big jump skip, okay? So this is verse 33. After he's already mentioned a few things about Moses' life, um, a, a primary one being how Moses did go to his people because he wanted to help. He, he, made, a, he made a decision in anger to actually kill someone that was abusing an Israelite, um, and that was found out about, and, and really he was judged by those people for it. He, he had... He had a desire to help, but he really, he really didn't have his heart and his mind lined up with God yet, okay? So verse 33. I'm sorry, let me start in verse 34. Um, I have certainly seen, this is, this is, um, this is Stephen uh, quoting God's own word uh, as we have in the Old Testament. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now I will send you to Egypt. Then Moses, whom they rejected when he said, who appoint, when they said, who appointed you a ruler and a judge? That's what, that's what his own people said to him when he showed up trying to help. He said that, that Moses, who they said that about, um, this one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer 
through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Let's think for a second. God sends Moses. He performs miracles. He gives them signs and evidence that God has sent him. As a deliverer and as someone who has authority over them. But he's initially rejected. Sound like anybody else you've heard a story about recently? Maybe Jesus? And that's, oh, that's Moses. That's the one that they, were, they wanted to have a conversation about. And he's showing them. That's what happened to Moses too. So, but, but, but let's not discredit Moses. Stephen says, okay, let's, let's hear the words of Moses. This person that is supposedly so great, so much of a spiritual hero, he, he, he held, the, he held the, the, the floor plan to, to, to build a place that God would dwell and we could worship. And he also had the law, everything that you live by and you manipulate and you use for your own purposes. He said, let's hear from Moses then. Verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites... God will raise up for you a prophet like me, but not him, among your brothers. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to to Egypt. What did the people do in Jesus' day? He showed up. Same kind of evidence. In fact, he was the one that Moses was talking about. He said, listen, God's going to send somebody that was, that was at that bush that was talking to me. It was the word. Moses said that 2,000 years before. The, the, the guy that supposedly these religious leaders in this horseshoe and sitting up front, the guy that they knew so well said that someone was coming just like that. And, and, and what happened? The people's hearts didn't respond to Moses ultimately. They just, they turned back. They started looking back. Well, well maybe we actually had it better back there because it was probably easier. We didn't have to work as hard. We didn't have to travel as much. That was that, was that story. Now, from there, um, he gets and he addresses this thing of this holy place, the temple that they have. He said, yep, you're right. Moses had this floor plan that God gave him, and, 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 we, and, and it was built, and it was done right. And, and it wasn't just Moses. When Moses passed away, it got handed off to Joshua. Joshua made sure that it got moved and set up in the places that people could worship God. And man, boom, then, then King David comes on the scene. King David has this vision from God that there's not just going to be something that's kind of a mobile setup. It's going to be a permanent place for God to dwell and to exist. And people can know they can go in there and worship him. They can, they can have their sins atoned for and paid for. Man, they can be right with God. There's going to be a place. And ultimately his son saw it to completion. And it was phenomenal. And he's telling him, hey, listen, you're, we're standing in the place. Like we, we're, we're, our feet are walking on stones. Our hands have held things. We've looked at things that was the ultimate building project that was supposed to be this big thing that was done for God. And then Stephen says, but hang on a second, remember what God's response was. This is a quote from the Old Testament. This is in verse 48. This is God speaking. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? 
Okay, so God did tell them, God did tell them to build this place, and he, and he, told, them, he told them specifically how to do it. And the things that he told them to do specifically, it meant certain things, and it, it symbolized certain things. It symbolized the holiness of God. God wasn't, he didn't give them that floor plan because they could do something so amazing. He did it so that they could know him. He did it so that he could say, I'll dwell here, but I want it to be a certain way so you'll understand some things about me. That was really the work that was going on. He just allowed them to be part of the process. Just like Abraham, he called him. He said, you're not going to be the millions. You're going to be the one. But I'm calling you. I'm inviting you into my story to be part of the process. Joseph, man, you're going to have it tough for a while. But you're going to have it great for a while. But I'm inviting you in to be part of this story that I'm writing. This, this thing of deliverance for people. This thing of redemption. This thing about knowing me. Now, verse 51, Stephen is not, I don't believe his heart at all was saying, was to kind of shift gears so that they would ultimately go over the deep end on him. And it's really amazing. If you'll, if you'll study verses 51 through 53, Stephen goes in, and, and again, it's wisdom and God's spirit because it's like, it's like if you laid a ton of the Old Testament out on a table, and, and, and just kind of the, the words were magnetic, and you had an, just a huge board up here that, that, would, that you could stick those words and those letters to, it's like Stephen just stands in front of it and goes, boom, 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 turns around, pop, 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 and it's just, it, it's perfect. I mean, it's like he reached in, and, and all he had to grab from him was truth, but when he grabbed some of it that, that we think would be totally random, he, it, it just it went together perfectly. And this is how we read it. You stiff-necked people. Now, that sounds insulting, right? I mean, that's not even you redneck people. That's you stiff-necked people. But you, you ever have a crick in your neck? And like that's, an, that's like a, an increasing bell curve. Like you just get more of them as you get older. Um, you ever have a crick in your neck and you, you just have to turn like this? When, when you're, Bobby's laughing because he had one last week. Um, when, when you're that stiff-necked, it's hard to turn around. And isn't turning around kind of a basic element of repentance? To turn away from where we're headed and turn towards the Lord? So consider it that way. You, you people that have such a difficulty repenting. With uncircumcised hearts and ears, your hearts and your ears don't show the signs that they're aware constantly of the promises and the work of God. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? You read the stories of the prophets. So many of them brought truth, but it was like that bathroom scale that your feet are already on that you just want to bust the glass out of. It was so offensive when they brought it. Many of those prophets were just absolutely punished and, and even killed. Just because it was truth didn't mean that it didn't, it wasn't found offensive. That's what your, our ancestors did. 
They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Now he's bringing Jesus into discussion. Whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Now, this was not Stephen making a final judgment. Because if you really read that, this whole full-length sermon, the sermon is full of people who rejected God, turned from Him, didn't keep up the, the, the aspects of life that He said, but constantly God kept pursuing them. Ultimately with Jesus and continually with His call. He wasn't saying you're hopeless. He's just saying that sometimes you just got to realize you're at a place where when you need Jesus, it, it, it means that a direction has to radically change. And then at that point, he becomes the first martyr. And when he becomes the first martyr, this thing explodes. Many times we look at a, a passing, a death of someone, and we think of it as, as the worst possible end. And when Stephen gave his life, he gave it in a way that sounds and looks a lot like Jesus. In fact, he even says by his own confession, before a stone ever hit his head to make him loopy, he looked up and saw Jesus. With his full attention on him. So don't think. That in your toughest moments, you don't have his full attention. I want to read a few things to you. Um, and again, like I told you, this was, this was kind of a, um, this was really a wrestling one to, uh, I, you know, to kind of put together and really, you know, the prayers to see where God um, wants us to um, go and really see and pick up out of this. Um, so, so here's a few things, okay? And this is kind of, this will be kind of how we're, we're wrapping this up. But I, but I want to just kind of give you a few things, all right? Be careful when you try to evaluate results, if you consider Stephen's life, if you consider many of the lives that are in this sermon, if you say that I must have done right based on how it ended, then someone could look back and go, Stephen, you must have messed something up. But even when he saw bad results his life was taking, it did not mean that he wasn't faithful. In other words... You can't assume that you weren't faithful even when a relationship fell apart. Because if it falls apart because of hearts that want to pursue sin, you actually may have been as faithful as Jesus wanted you to be. Just because a financial crisis hits doesn't mean that you weren't a faithful, generous person. It could be because of the cold heart of sin that exists in this world. But that also reminds us that we also can't just say, because things look good, I must be good. It's not a safe one either. Because if, if your life has ever been anything like mine, I have seen clearly that my enemy Satan would, would want me to be falsely self-assured that I'm just doing okay. Here's another one. Um, don't be selectively obedient. If you look at the life of um, Joseph, he was arrogant, right? He, he, really, he really bragged when he shouldn't have bragged. If you look at the life of um, Abraham, he lied about um, the relationship that he had with his wife and, and other men took her in as his wife. Um, they, they, 
um, they, they question God and what he could do, so they try to do it their way, and, and, and you see that it historically made a, um, made a difference. We, we have to be careful in our lives to not be selectively obedient, because here's how we start down that road most oftentimes, I think, as Christians. We, we, we want to convince ourselves this way. You know, um, for, I, I do this at my job, and I'm kind of on board with this, but, but you got to understand, my job is just different than what your job is. Like, I don't work with Christians. Um, to, to make money, then, then, then in business, sometimes you have to do these things or you have to, you, have to, you know, be social this way because if you're going to be successful, like this, like everybody doesn't have the, 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 uh, the blessing of being able to be just with Christians every day. Or, hey, you know what, my relationship is different. You don't understand. Like this, We're not like these other people because of what we've dealt with in life or the, what we argue over. It's just different. Like it's just, that's not us. It's a different truth. It's a different reality. When we, when we trick ourselves into the fact that we can be selective, I want you to think of this light just kind of as, as, as two representations. One representation is, is this light and its brightness would give evidence that one, um, we would have a close relationship with Jesus in the way we're living and that we would accurately and with good credit be able to show Jesus to the world around us, okay? So this, I, I just completely disassembled a light in my house, and I'll probably get in trouble for this later, but it's the only thing I have with the dimmer switch, okay? So this is full brightness, okay? This is full brightness. Now, if I'm selectively obedient, what I'm actually doing is I'm saying, okay, you know, it's just different for me. Other people may be able to do that, but, but that's, not, that's not where I'm at. What ultimately happens is, is I've made a decision that has dimmed my relationship, my closeness with Jesus, and how clearly he can be seen to others. You know, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to go along with what others do. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to play the game that everybody else has to play. I, I just, I've got to just exist like this. But when we choose faithful obedience, when we choose even just one thing, one, you know, you realize that, right? Like, if, if you and I choose one thing this week to be obedient in that we haven't been before, that means we're more obedient. And, and you know what ultimately happens? One act, two acts, three acts of obedience. So we got to be careful to not just choose selective obedience in our life because we can see the evidence of where that takes us. We can learn from those lessons Here's another one. God can do more and better than we can do. I know that sounds simple, but when you look at these stories, it's, and, it, and it looks magnified, but we worship the same Jesus that they worship in hope, but we know him. We worship the same Father God that, that did all these things. Just because we aren't in the storyline like Abraham appears in, doesn't mean that the miracles can't be just as real, just as magnificent, and just as attention-grabbing for God. Here's a last one. Reach the hard-to-reach people. We see this in Stephen's life. It shows up in Moses' life. He goes after a people that just continually turn their heart away from God. It's always worth reaching the right people. This is what God says in the Old Testament about how he sees people. This is Ezekiel 33.11. Tell them as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent from your evil ways. 
Why will you die, house of Israel? God's not happy when people don't turn to him. He goes after the hard-to-reach people. If you look at the life of Stephen at the end, I mean, this is not just, this isn't what's printed on a coffee mug. This is what, we, what is the real stuff of living it out. It says that um, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At the end of his life, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, making sure that he wanted people to hear this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In other words, God, just because they're stoning me now, send somebody else. Reach the hard to reach people. I'm not smart enough to know which of those things that somebody you needed to hear specifically today. They're all good. I believe it's all truth. I know what has spoken most to me in my life. My hope and my prayer is that through this, and, and especially if you're in a difficult situation, one of these truths, more, multiple of these truths, really speak in and give you some direction on on what you can do this week in your relationship with the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he calls us to believe and to confess, to come to him for salvation. While the last song that we our praise band does after I pray in a few minutes, I would invite you up to, to really be able to meet someone that knows Jesus and can talk to you about what does it mean to be saved. Um, if you say, man, that's, that just seems like a lot right now. That's a nervousness that I have but you know in your heart that you believe in Jesus, yes, you can pray to him for salvation, just praying to the Lord. Lord, I I know that I'm a sinner. I need you. I believe your promises are true. Save me. Lord, lead me. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's in control. You can pray that prayer. And and the Bible simply says that you will be saved. But that's the first moment of salvation. He wants us to live a life of salvation. And that's where we want to make sure that we're connected together. We have people that gave their hearts to Christ in salvation last week. I believe that people make that decision at times, and we may not know about it. It might be yours today. Would you bow your heads for just a minute with your eyes closed? Um, the, God's word is truth, and, and this sermon of Stephen's, while long, and while mine and other pastors, sometimes it just seems long, Man, it is, it is, these sermons are the lifeblood that just get our attention and help us to see what it is that we need to see to be able to follow Jesus more closely. And, and where my heart, I believe, was led today and the peace that I have standing here was to put this out because I believe as soon as you heard it, God's Spirit in you grabbed it and said, that's the one. That's where we're working together. And if you'd like to pray over any of those specifically, you'll have an opportunity in this next song and after the service today. Lord God, help us to take your word and in faithfulness, Lord, use it. And God, help us as we hear your word and process it today, Lord, that we will be faithful um, as we leave this place, knowing that we don't leave your presence if we're saved. God, I pray that you'll instill that in someone's heart that may be giving their life to you right now. Lord, they've heard your call, and they know, God, that salvation is real in Jesus. God, help us in, in, in where we need to grow. 
Lord, put us in the place that we need to be. We're, so many of us are searching for something. And God, many times we, we lose sight of, we're searching from what we think we have to find. And God, really what we need to do is just pause and see what you've already done and where you've already led us. And where we stand at the moment. And what we've heard and what we can respond to. So Lord, help us in your truth today. Worship Jesus because everything is different because he's alive. As we live in him, Lord, we're called to a purpose. Sometimes to leave something. Sometimes to be obedient in one step. Sometimes to stop judging the results that are around us because faithfulness exists. And we can find pleasure and hope and peace in you. Lord Jesus, now help us in the ways that we don't even know how to help ourselves. God, may our voice in our song not be what's just on the screen, but maybe, Lord, may it be just adoration and love for you in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing this last song? Um, there'll be opportunities to give as you leave, and Dale will talk to you about how you can exit out and get information and stuff before you go. Thank you so much for being here. We love you so much. God bless you.